You got how great is our God? All right, we want y'all to stand up and sing this next one with us. How great is our God? Words will be on screen, hopefully.
see. Amen. What a perfect song for today. I, um, I want to tell you, thank you so much for uh, praying and asking the Lord the direction we should go and how to minister to our community. Uh, at this point, we have 27 uh, Spanish-speaking people in our other service. I think we need to give God a hand for that. I'm thankful that we can reach out and uh, to a different culture, to people that don't speak our language, and all over the world. Now, last week you had something in your bulletin, and it was uh, a little insert. It had prayer requests on one side, but it also had our missionaries on the other. The reason that it had our missionaries on there was because of part of the vision that I have for Community Baptist Church is that I want you to know uh, specifically who our missionaries are, how much they're getting. Um, people call me all the time trying to get, um, to try to come on board and uh, try to speak here, and they want to see if we'll take them on. And I tell them continuously, we're not taking anybody else on. I would like to up those who we, who we have and help. One of the visions that I have for this church and the reason for you getting that insert was because I want you to begin to pray about which country God would have you to go to, which missionary he would have you to visit. Now, for some people, you'll be like, I'll, I'll help support and do something else. But, but I want you to start praying. What I want, I want our missionaries to be visited by our own people. Because what it's going to do, it's going to, it's going to give you a love for that particular missionary, that particular country, and you're going to see the need. And then you're going to spread that desire. And so I want you to start praying, God, where would you have me, our family, to go? It's not just you. It's not just your spouse. But it's also people in your home. We want your kids to fall in love and see what goes on on the mission field. And the reason for this is, is to see what, are they under-supported? I mean, we have missionaries now that are under-supported by $700 a month. Can you imagine $700 being swept out of your account uh, each month? I mean, that's devastating to um, uh, a lot of uh, missionaries. But um, we have missionaries that are, are, that are working very hard. They're doing a great work, and they're, they're just they're, they're lonely. They're struggling right now. Um, I, I was speaking to one of our missionaries in Spain, and they said, they said Chris, it took six months before they would even speak to us. See, see, we're, from, we're, we're not from around here. They're not, and, and they, we wasn't accepted. And they would be in the elevator with people, and people would turn their backs and not even speak to them for six months. Can you imagine what that would be like? It took eight months before they got the first couple to come into their first Bible study. Now it's a year, and they'd have six people. Can you imagine how discouraged some of these folks are? So what I want you to start doing, I want you to start praying and saying, God, would you have me go to one of these countries see we've been we've been having these golf tournaments we've been having fundraisers and we what we've been doing we've been we've been storing away money for this very event for kids to go on mission trips for you to go visit our missionaries i want you to have a love for the countries and people that we support and i want you to be uh talking with them and by the way for some of you for some of you you're going to say you know what I, I really, I'm, I'm kind of struggling with what they're doing in their ministry, and you'll bring that back to us, but you're going to have an opportunity to go. And I'd love to send a couple of families uh, a year and, and reach all of our missionaries. 
when we sent uh, Jr. and Carol to visit missionaries, they, they, the missionaries called and said, thank you so much. That was such an encouragement. Nobody comes. I was speaking to Diana Santos about this also, and, and she, said, she, said when I, she said she remembers being in Mexico and being kids, and she said when an American pastor or the American people from the church came to visit them, she's like, it was unbelievable. She said we were giddy. She said we couldn't believe that they would take the time to come visit us. And I want, I want this church to be known for our, our outreach and missions, but also we want to get to know personally our missionaries, not just wait for them to come. And then ultimately, I want to have a, a, um, a missions conference and bring in our missionaries, uh, you know, once every four years, just like four of them, and have a missions conference. And, and I want you to have a love for the field and know that this bigger than just here in this community it is important but it's bigger we have the whole world that we're really trying to do our part and reach and so i wanted to explain that to you why why did why did why is there a list in the in the insert last week and so i wanted to give you an opportunity but i want you to take that list and i want you to start praying god would you have me go would you have our family go to one of these places and visit the missionary. And by the way, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that there's needs there for our young people to go and minister and help in VBSs to our own missionaries and, and do run mission trips there too to our own people. So we want to get focused on what what is the, what we should be doing, how should we be reaching out to our own folks. So I want you to begin to pray about that um, with your family, if you, if you would. Last week, I talked about the fact, we talked about, are you satisfied? Are you dissatisfied with God? Now, last week we went through the children of Israel. And we talked about how much they complained. And I said, I looked up uh, something for the end of the year in 2021. This, this uh, article, they, they, they said the top 10 complaints. You see... When we're dissatisfied with God, it's ultimately we're complaining against God because we talked about him being sovereign. I'll show you that in a second. But the top 10 complaints for 2021 was telemarketers or robocalls. And all God's children said, amen. When you see the word spam come up on your phone, it's block, isn't it? Stop. Uh, utilities, how much utilities, credit, and the, the, the interest rate. Uh, how much vehicles cost and how much it costs if they break down, price gouging, elderly fraud, landlord, tenants, uh, home improvements, insurance, professional services. This was the top 10 complaints. And it's amazing in almost every conversation that you're going to have with different people, you're going to hear people complain about something. And today we're going to look at what Paul is going to talk about to us and you're going to, you're going to be a little humbled by the time we get through this. But I believe our society breeds discontent. Parents breed discontentment into their kids. When the parents are constantly being heard saying they're discontent, they're complaining about this and that, the kids begin to copy and they act like you. Society tells us to be discontent with our house and our cars and, and to go out and get the newest and latest and greatest. Society tells us to get better and faster cars. Society tells us that if we're not happy with our spouse, I talked about all this last week, if we're not happy with our spouse, uh, trade her in or trade him in for somebody younger. You know, For some people, there's no such thing as midlife crisis because they don't live to be but 37 in most countries. And so they use excuses like, well, I'm having a midlife, midlife crisis and I'm, I'm going and I'm going to see what else is out there. Not only this, society tells us to protest in the streets, as I said, and if it's Black Lives Matter, if it's the Capitol. 
that it's wrong. People are not being held accountable for being taken care of. This is not your stuff to tear up. Stop tearing up other people's stuff. It's not yours. What gives you the right to go and do what you want to do and then be offended when somebody calls you out or you get arrested or whatever? And so society breeds a lot of this. And I said, very first, the very first complaint in all the Bible was in, found in Genesis chapter 3 when God is walking around in the cool of the evening and He says, Hey, Adam, where are you? And He says, Have you eaten from the tree which I've commanded? And Adam's next response was, It's the woman you gave. You did it. Because you know what? Adam didn't have a choice in who he married. But he understood this principle that God is sovereign. God is in complete control of everything that comes in and out of his life. You know, God is not the cause of things, but he does allow things. He doesn't cause this to happen or that, but he does allow things to happen. And so, the ultimate, ultimate complaint, what it does, it reveals this. It reveals that you have a deeper sin issue going on. That you're not really content with what God brings in out of your life. And so... The word sovereign here is this, is God has complete control over all things. This is what, this is what I taught on last week, that all, all complaints is you're complaining against the sovereign God. You're complaining that He's not in control and that He could do a better job. That's what complaining does. And we see Psalms 115, that He does whatever He pleases. Jeremiah says, nothing is too hard for you. And Proverbs says, it is the Lord's purpose that's going to prevail. And when we complain against the Lord's purpose, it's saying, God, I am dissatisfied with you, and I think my way is better. Now, we're going to go to the book of Philippians today. Because Paul is the one that is writing all about this. And he's the one that we looked at a little bit last week, just poured out two words, and it said, don't argue and don't complain. But I need to give you a quick history lesson because you're like, Chris, what are you doing? Because if you don't understand where he was at and why he was writing this, you're going to be like, well, Paul says don't complain. He's probably sitting in some palace somewhere. He's probably eating grapes and he's probably, you know, he's probably getting fully supported and his belly's full. And The book of Philippians was written from prison. Prison. Under house arrest. Now, you're like, okay, all right, I get it. But why would, a, why would the Apostle Paul be under house arrest? Why would he be in prison? By the way, this is, this is um, A.D. 62. He dies in A.D. 66. He dies four years later after writing this book. This is just one of several instances of him being in prison. Now, under house arrest, he had freedoms. The next time he's in prison, that's where he is beheaded. Four years later by Nero. But why is it that he's under house arrest? And here's the thing I want you to see, and I want you to follow along. How did he get to Rome and under house arrest? Well, we know this because he was preaching the Bible, uh, the Bible, but I want you to see this. I want you to understand what the people said about him. Has anybody ever lied about you? Anybody ever lied about you? Anybody ever done something to you that, that was wrong? This is what happened to Paul the first trial, because there was an accusation made against him, and he said, we found this man a public menace, and he stirs up dissension among the, all the Jews throughout the world, and he's a ringleader among the sect of the uh, Nazarenes. 
He said, look, this guy is out of control. And this is standing before Felix. And Felix is like, really? And so the accusers, they had to stand before. If you were in trial, the accuser had to stand before you and make these accusations to your face. And so this is what they say about him. In verse 6 it says, And he even tried to desecrate the temple, so indeed we arrested him. And so this is the first trial. Paul's just sitting there listening to this. Then we go to the second trial. He's then sent to another governor. He's named Festus. He says in Acts 25, 18, When the accusers stood up, they did not begin bringing any charges against him of, of crimes that I suspected. He was like, look, the first crimes that were brought up were pretty serious. The next time when I stood before this governor right here, he said, they didn't really bring up any of those crimes. He said, in fact, to be honest, they simply just said, we don't agree with what he's talking about. And he's preaching about a dead man. And his name is Jesus. And how he rose again. And we disagree. It went from, this man is desecrating the temple. He's causing uh, dissension among all the Jews. He's doing this. He's breaking the law. Then they send him to the next trial. And they were like, well, you know what? We just disagree with some of the things he's saying. I mean, I don't agree that Jesus rose again. I don't believe he's alive. But he says he is and we don't agree you see the transition from court case to court case now he's got a third one now he stands before agrippa acts 26 31 and when they had gone out they began talking to one another saying this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment what by the time they get to the third case, barely anybody shows up. And it's not this big old uproar. He's doing this. He's doing this. Just a couple people show up and they were like, well, you know what? We just don't agree. And, you know, and, and Agrippa's like, what is, what's the deal? Why are y'all wasting my time? And they were like, well, we, this is what he did. I don't, I don't agree with him here. And Agrippa was like, you know, you know what? You're wasting my time. In fact, he doesn't deserve death. He doesn't deserve imprisonment. Now, you know what Paul did? Because he saw it going from court case to court case, he said, I'm going to make an appeal to Rome before Caesar. And everybody's like, what? Because he's a Roman citizen. He could do that. In fact, Agrippa says this. He says, if he would have never appealed to Rome, then we probably would have let him go because the, the, what the circumstances and the evidence against him, he said, it really wasn't bad. Now, I'm trying to build upon this right now. Paul's in there going from court case to court case. And so when he appeals, he goes to Rome. And by the way, when in Rome, he was guarded by a soldier. Do you want to know about the three months that it took him to get to Rome? Do you want to read in, in the book of Acts where it talked about him being snake bit and being shipwrecked, trying to get to his next court case? And so he's, he's, now he's got a guard. He's under house arrest. He's allowed to have visitors. In fact, he led this guard to the Lord. He's allowed to have people coming in and out. Do, who, who's ever read the book Pilgrim's Progress? Who's ever read that book? That was, a, that was a mandatory reading in a lot of even Christian uh, public schools. It was in the Christian school. If you never had a chance to read that, you need to. That book was written in prison 
because they told that man that he was not allowed to preach and he had to be licensed by the state. And he said, I'll stay in prison. He had four children and a wife and he was, and they allowed him to go out and come in. But for 12 years, he was in that prison. Paul is now in Rome. He's guarded under house arrest. The trial before the Jews, and I'll quickly give you the rundown. It says this. Some were being persuaded. He was defending himself. By the way, I, I think this is interesting. That if you think that Christians can't go to court and it's wrong for Christians to go to court, this is the story right here because he says, I'm appealing to the, to the Roman uh, government because I know that I am correct and I'm making that appeal. Be very careful before you sue somebody, you go take somebody to the court. But he does say that Christians do have the right for this. And so he's standing before these officials and he says, hey, he, was, he said some even were being persuaded and even some walked off and said, he's innocent. In Acts 28.30, and Paul stayed in prison for two whole years. Two years under house arrest. And because he was in this under house arrest, he had to ankle it, you know, and everything. He wrote the book of Ephesians, Philemon, Colossians, and Philippians. And this is why they're called the prison epistles. See, I wanted you to understand the history because he is sitting in prison and really there were no accusations that were really sticking, but he ended up in prison anyway because why? This is exactly where God wanted him to be. Because what are the chances that the Apostle Paul would have stopped and sat down and wrote four of the books of the Bible, if not being forced to, sitting in prison? Do you know how CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, got started? It was started because a man was put in bed. He was very, very sick, and God gave him this vision of Child Evangelism Fellowship. So you, sometimes God stops us and he, and he causes detrimental things to happen that you look on the outside and say, well, that's terrible. And it's all part of his plan. I wanted you to see this man is in prison for two years for something he did not do. And he says, hey, I, I, want, you, I want you to have respect for him. Do all things without complaining. He's sitting, sitting in prison for two years, four court cases, three months traveling at sea, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, all because somebody didn't like what he said. And he's sitting, sitting in prison saying, by the way, stop your complaining. You know what I thought? If anybody had a reason to complain, it was him. How many times have you been done wrong or you felt like you've been taken advantage of or somebody's cut you off or somebody's done this and all of a sudden you're complaining, complaining and you're like, man, in comparison to Paul's life, nothing happened to me. I got it easy. And he says this, he is, the word complaining here is a, like a murmuring under your breath. He said, don't be murmuring under your breath about what God's doing. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 6. 
And I, and I said this last week that there's the, 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 how the deacons got started, that the widows and the families were murmuring and complaining because the church wasn't doing a good enough job for their families. They should be doing a better job. There's so many people being added to the church. And they were trying to keep up. And people were getting mad and they were disgruntled and they were murmuring and complaining. But then, then he said this. He says, not only do all things without complaining, he said, but do all things without any argument. And this is like arguing in your mind or arguing with God about what he's doing. We see this in Luke 9 when the disciples are arguing with each other. Who's the greatest? And I show you all that. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul's road, no arguing, no complaining while he's sitting in prison. And the question I, I have to ask is, why not complain? Context is king. Why not complain? And he tells us. He tells us why we should not complain and we should not argue. And these three points, one of these points is enough to say, you know what? He's exactly right. But all three together... The first thing he says after saying stop your complaining and stop your arguing, he says so that you will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God and above reproach. The first thing he says, you know why we shouldn't argue and complain? Because we represent somebody bigger than us. He uses the word prove. So that you will prove yourself, so that you will perform, so that as you become, you are a child of God. What are we to prove? We're proved to be blameless, innocent, and above reproach. This is what he's saying. He's saying, we represent somebody bigger. When we're complaining, we're saying, I didn't get it my way. By the way, does society teach that? You should get it your way. Burger King commercials, Diet Coke, they say it, get it your way. However you want it, that's the way it should be. And people think they can live their whole life like this. And he says, look, you are to prove yourselves to be a child of God so that your life cannot be criticized. So it represents a lamb without blemish. It represents somebody innocent and above reproach. He's saying, close your mouth. Because you're giving God a bad name. Ask yourself these questions. Who do you belong to? And you would say, Who, Whose are you? Dr. Weatherford at Vandalia would look at his three sons and he would say, Not only remember who you are, but whose you are. Who owns you? Whose name do you bear? Whose identity do you share? Whose life do you share? Who adopted you? Who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light? Who did that? And for believers, we would say, my father, my father God. And what he's saying is, when you complain and when you argue, he's saying, you're representing God. And you're like, but that's not who God is. He said, exactly. 
So you know why he was mistreated and he went through four different trials and he never really did anything wrong. And you know why he's sitting in, in a prison and he's gladly welcoming people to come see him. He's leading the guard to Christ. He said, because it's not about me. I represent somebody so much bigger. But then he gives us a second part in, in verse 15. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as light in the world. The second reason he says stop complaining, stop arguing, he says because unbelievers are watching. How many of you work with unbelievers? That you're around unbelievers. Some of you are very fortunate to work in a facility, maybe in your office cubicle with, with believers. But I would dare say the majority of us in here work with unbelievers. And if you're part of that work area and you're complaining and you're grumbling and you're murmuring and you're gossiping and you're slandering and you're doing all of this, he said, there's people in there that says, that's the representation of God. But not only that, there's unbelievers that are watching you. He uses the word here, crooked. He says, we're in the midst of a crooked the word crooked here, the Greek word is scolio, where we get our word scoliosis. We've had some people in here that has scoliosis. And it's crooked. It's a crooked spine. And he's, what he's saying, he was like, it's a scoliosis. We live in a scoliosis world. And they have a warped sense of thinking, do they not? Some of the things that come out of the news and come out of people's mouth, you're going, you don't really believe that, do you? Wow, how far have we come? And then he said, not only a scoliosis generation, a perverse, somebody that opposes or plots against God. And this is what our world teaches. Our world teaches that fornication is right. That adultery is okay. That homosexuality is really in the Bible and you need to just agree with it. That lying and, and cheating and cheating, cheating the government, all these things are okay. This is what our society teaches. And all of a sudden, when you present the Bible and, they, and you're like, that's not what the scriptures say. I just want you to know, that's sin. That's against God. Oh, no, I don't believe that. I would rather believe what they're telling me on TV than to believe this. By the way, Christians has bought into this too. Well, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. He says, no, we live in a perverse world. And by you complaining and by you arguing and by you murmuring, he's saying, these unbelievers, they're watching. And then he said to do this. Answer this world. How do you do this? Appears a light. I love this word. The word, the Greek word is illuminator. Illuminator. He says, if you want to win this world, if you want to win people to Christ, the reason we're not is because we're not illuminating Christ. How many of you ladies use something like this? Anybody in here? It's called an illuminator, right? What does it do? It highlights your cheeks, highlights your chin, highlights whatever you want to be highlighted to make it stand out. That's what illuminator does. So what we're saying is, when we're complaining, we're highlighting who we are. Men, we use it. How many of you have that wear a watch? You have, you have a light on your watch. You know what it's called? It's called an illuminator. And when you push this in a dark place, guess what? Everybody looks. 
Everybody sees it. You're able to see your, your time on, on your clock. It's called an illuminator. In a dark world, it stands out. He says, we need to shine. But the last, the light, is what points people to Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians. For God who said, light shall shine out of the darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ. He said, if Jesus Christ has shown in your heart and put the light in your heart, he said, that's what should be coming out. But lastly, he says, for the sake of your pastor, stop complaining. Now, this is interesting because as you look at it, you're like, you know what? I'm not going to complain to the pastor anymore because the Bible says not to. It's so much bigger than this. In Philippians 2.16, holy firmly in the word of life, so that on the day of Christ I can take pride because I did not run in vain nor labor in vain. Do you know what this man is talking about? He is not talking about make sure we take the pastor out to eat and congratulate him, tell him how good a job he's doing and not complain around him. He's saying, uh-uh, on the day I die and stand before Christ, he is looking to the future. This is big. He's not, he, he's not talking about the here and now. He says, on the day that I die and we stand before Jesus Christ, or Jesus, the resurrection takes place, and all of us go up. He said, I can take pride in this. That, not a sinful pride, that I was part of something bigger. And he says, that he did not run in vain. He said that I did not work myself to the point of exhaustion for nobody to accept. This is what he's saying. So when we get to heaven and we look around, your pastor looks around, and he sees half of his congregation is not there. You know what he's going to think? Did I just run in vain? Did I do all this for nothing? So what he's saying is, the ultimate problem of those who are constantly complaining and arguing could be this. It could be that they don't have Christ in their heart to begin with. And he says, when I get to heaven, I want to look around and see that all of you are there. And I want to know that when I ran this race, it was not in vain. It's amazing to me. People come to church just every once in a while. They serve just every once in a while. Maybe if they're going to get something from it. You know, if you're begging people to come serve God, it's not that they're lazy. It's that they don't know Christ. If you have to tell somebody to stop complaining, stop complaining, stop murmuring, stop slandering, you know what he's saying? It's this. You don't have the light inside of you to shine out, shine forth. There is a bigger problem. And he's looking to the future and he says, on the day that Jesus Christ returns and we all go up, I want to know that all of you are there so I know, now ready, for eternity, that I did not run in vain. For eternity. This is so much bigger than the here and now. With heads bowed and eyes closed, Several people have called me this week.
and after the message and said, their week was so hard not to complain and grumble because of all of the things they had happened. And I want to tell you, there's so many things every single week that we can grumble, we can complain about. But I want you to know the reason we don't is because we represent somebody bigger. You got to figure out if you're living this life for you or for him. The second thing is there's unbelievers watching us. They're not going to step in this church if you are constantly grumbling, complaining, slandering. If you act like the world, they're not stepping in here. They're not going to get saved. Why should they? But thirdly, for my sake, if Jesus Christ was to come back right now, how many of you would be standing around? Would I say, man, I, I think I ran it in vain. Was all this worth it? How many people are not here? Three powerful reasons why this is bigger than us. God, I pray that we receive your sovereign plan, complete control. God, we know that some things we bring onto ourselves, that you do not cause them, but you allow them. God, you allow Paul to sit and under house arrest for two years so that he could pen four books of the Bible because that was your plan. And in the midst of this, after being falsely accused, going through four trials, being shipwrecked, he instructs us to not complain or argue or murmur. He says, stop it. Because he represented you, because of the unbelievers that were around him, and because of glory. God, I pray that we would take these scriptures and we would apply them to our lives, not just to be hearers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. Steve's going to come and lead us in a, uh, one verse of, of a hymn. And thank you so much for being with us this morning. Continue to pray for our Spanish service and uh, that God will continue to, to, to grow that. And uh, our children's program, we're very excited about what God is doing. Thank you so much. You may stand.